Continue to speak to us, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And if you are between the ages of four years old and fourth grade, you can be dismissed. Uh, Emily is in the back there. If you want to follow her down the hall, we've got a special program for you. If you want to follow along, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 16 here today. Genesis 16. Continuing our series here in the book of Genesis. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from? And where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said further, Behold, you are with child and you will bear a son. And you shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man, and his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of all of his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. For she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Birlahoroi, Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. I wasn't. Can we try it now? We'll continue with this. That's okay. Yeah. It was uh, back in 1989, I, I, I was reading an article that in 1989, there was a coach in Ladysmith who had a brand new boys basketball team. The seniors had exited the program, the JVs moved up to varsity, so we had a completely different squad that he was working with, and he was trying to think of a way to re-innovate his team and, and make a new style of play, and he picked up a VHS tape which taught him about the press defense. Now, 
If you don't know what basketball is, very quickly, the press defense is a very exhausting kind of defense. You ever see in basketball where they shoot the basket and then they move to the other side of the court and they wait for the other team to come to them? The press defense says, oh no, you're going to press the other side of the court. Hence the name, press defense. And so he started to implement this style of play because he saw that it worked in colleges, he saw that it worked in other programs, and so he decided he was going to begin to coach his players into this new form of basketball, the press defense. And he did it with utter confidence. He did it with full confidence that this was going to work for his team. So he put the plan into place. He taught his students or his, or his uh, uh, the athletes. And, and they began to play that press defense. And what do you know? They lost their first two games. And so he was immediately uh, regretting putting in the press defense. But he knew with confidence that it was going to work. So he continued with the press defense. And what do you know? That season, they won two games. <laughs> Losing season for the press defense. And so he went back to the drawing board and he had a choice to make. Am I going to continue to push this press defense with my team and continue on? Or am I going to uh, move to something else and try to teach something different? And he decided... He was going to stick to the game plan. And so he stuck to the game plan. In the following year, he had a little bit more success, but not as much as he wanted. And finally, he decided that he wasn't just going to watch this VHS tape and learn about the press defense. He ended up going down to the University of Kentucky and taking a coaching clinic with the coach at that time, Rick Pitino, to learn firsthand what the press defense was all about. You see, he was confident that this was the style of play that his school should adopt. So he stuck with his plan. He went down and he learned even more about the style of play. And when he came back, his team did better. And sure enough, they moved on to have winning season after winning season. But it wasn't until 1996 that Lady Smith High School went to the first ever title game in school history. And the writer of this article said that this revolutionized not only Ladysmith basketball, but it revolutionized this side of Wisconsin in their way of playing basketball. Other coaches saw that this team had implemented a new plan, and it not only worked for them, but they started to implement it for their school, and it began to work for them. And the writer of this article said, because that coach stuck to his plan regardless of the failures that he was seeing, his school went on to the title game and other schools began to implement this successful approach. God has a plan for your life. And God has a plan for the salvation of this world. And he is going to stick to the plan. He has a plan. He's had a plan. We saw it in Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve ate of the apple and sin entered into the world, God immediately started a plan. And as we're going through the book of Genesis, what we're finding is God has a plan that he is going to stick to. The question we have is, are we going to stick to the plan that he calls us to? Are we going to stick to the plan that he has for our life? And as we read in Genesis 16, we get a story of what happens when you don't stick to God's plans. This is Genesis chapter 16, and this is about the story of Sarai and Abram. 
As we heard last week, Abram was concerned that he hasn't had a son yet and that he might die soon and, and all of his belongings, all of his inheritance is going to move on to somebody in the family and God stops him and says, that's not part of the plan, Abram. The plan is that I'm going to give you and Sarai a son and you're going to have a multitude of descendants. Well, here we are one chapter later and what's happening? They're already questioning the plan of God. You see, it's been about 10 years since that moment, and they're wondering, is God going to give us a son yet? And so the first thing that happens in their questioning is Sarai thought that God had a change of mind, so she decided for a change of plans. You see, she thought that maybe God wasn't actually going to fulfill his promise. And the reason we see that, or how we see that, is if you look back in Genesis chapter 11, when Sarai is introduced, all it said is that she doesn't have a child. And, and Abram makes that apparent to God. He points out to God, listen, we've done everything we can do, but we don't have a child. And now we move into Genesis 16. What does Sarai say to God? She says, he has caused me not to have a child. Do you see the difference there? It's not just, I don't have a child and I'm waiting on God's promises. She is starting to think that maybe God has changed his mind. Maybe, maybe God doesn't really have this plan for me after all. And so she does something that is very dangerous. She tries to help God out with her own plans. And so she devises this plan she devises this plan that she would give her maid, Hagar, over to her husband. And her plan, in her culture, in her time, makes perfect sense. Now for us today, that is sin, that is nothing we would condone. But in, in Abram and Sarai's time, for her to have a maidservant, somebody that's in the household, she has the option to give that maidservant over to her husband so that her husband can have a child. And so Sarai sits back and she has this, this servant in the household named Hagar who comes from Egypt. And she thinks for a moment, okay, God has prevented me from having a child, which we know isn't true, but that's what she believes. And so now she wants to implement this new plan. Okay, Abram, I'm going to give you my servant and she is going to be your second wife. And when she conceives, that will be the son, and then God will bless that family, and then we'll be good. Then God can fulfill his promises. You see the problem with that? Sarai thinks she can help God out, but she is completely changing the plan that God had in mind. You look back to chapter 15 of Genesis. It's very apparent that Sarai and Abram are to wait on God's timing and God will fulfill his promise in the best time. But Sarai wants to implement her own plan. And so Abram agrees to this. He takes Hagar as a second wife and when she conceives, Hagar is despised in Sarai's sight and cast away by her. It's incredible what happens in this moment because the scripture tells us that that. When she conceives, Sarai is the one that despises Hagar. She sees what Hagar is able to accomplish, and she begins to uh, dislike her. She begins to mistreat her. But then notice what she says to Abram. She walks up to Abram and says, Ever since she conceived, I've been despised in her sight. That happens a lot when we're disobedient to God, doesn't it? 
We try to play the blame game. We try to say that, well, God, it was so-and-so's fault. So-and-so is the one that's acting wrong, and they're the ones that are causing me to sin. And Sarai is doing this when she's talking to Abram. She's saying, listen, there's strife in our household, but it's all her fault. Whose plan was it? Whose plan was it that this would take place? It was Sarai. She's getting exactly what she planned for, but now she is beginning to realize this isn't God's plan. This isn't the plan that he's had for their family. And what's worse is when she goes to Abram about this, first, she makes Abram share in the blame. First thing she says to him, may the wrong done me be upon you. May God judge us both. And you know what? She has a right to do that. Abram knew what he was getting into. Abram knew what she was doing and he followed through. But watch the sin that Abram goes through. He deflects it. He acts as if though he's not responsible. Hagar is now his wife, culturally speaking. And what he says to, to Sarai is, well, that's still your maid, so you do with her what you think is necessary. And so Sarai takes Hagar back and begins to mistreat her. Begins to mistreat her in such a way that she feels the only way to survive is to flee away from the household. And so she runs away from the household, being cast out into the wilderness. And what we know is that Hagar is found by a spring of water in the land of Shur. All we know about the land of Shur really is that it is to the west of where Abram and Sarai are staying in Canaan. And so what we believe is going on here is Hagar is deciding that she is going to flee from this household and try to go back to Egypt to find her family. Think about that. What is Hagar's job in that household? She's a servant. How did she become a servant? She didn't apply. There wasn't a job application. More likely than not, her family back in Egypt couldn't afford to take care of her, and so they sent her to a family in Canaan. So what kind of mistreatment is going on in the household that Hagar, being pregnant, is willing to trek across the wilderness, the desert of the Middle East, to go back to Egypt to a family that couldn't afford her in the first place? You talk about somebody that has nothing, it's Hagar. Hagar was already a servant in the household, and now she has nowhere to go. Now she is fleeing that household pregnant, not knowing what to do next. And it's in this moment that God really demonstrates his grace and mercy. Because remember, who's God's covenant with? It's with Abram and Sarai. It's not with Hagar. Hagar is only a part of that if she stays in the household. And so by ancient customs, God doesn't have to help Hagar out. But God goes and finds her. He seeks her out and speaks with her. And an angel of the Lord is sent to Hagar at that spring of water. And the angel, and I, by the way, I love, I absolutely love when God finds his people. He always asks them what's going on. He knows what's going on. He knows everything. He's all, he's all powerful. He sees everything. 
He knows what's going on in their life, but whenever he approaches his people, he wants them to tell him. You ever, you ever see a kid that's upset and you know why they're upset? But you bend down on one knee, you get at their eye level, and you ask them to tell you why they're upset? That's what God does. That's what God does with this angel. He sends this angel to go and ask Hagar, what is wrong? And Hagar tells him, says, I've been mistreated by my family. They want to kill me, so I fled from them so that I can survive. And the first thing the angel says to her is, go back to Abram and Sarai. Go back and live under your mistress. Now, unfortunately, we don't have any indication as to why that is, except that my guess is God has already spoken to Abram and Sarai and has told them, you're going to take care of her. But we don't have that in the scripture. I'm just guessing here. We do know that God cares about Hagar. And so we can assume he's sending her back to the household so that she will live and so that she will have her child. And so she gets this direction, go back to the household. And it's not just that. He doesn't just show up and then tell her, Hagar, everything's going to be okay. Go back to the household and you're going to live with them and everything's going to be fine. So God has already gone out of his way. He's already gone out to seek Hagar because he doesn't want her to suffer. He saves her life by telling her to go back to the family that she fled from. And then on top of it all, he then says to Hagar, you are going to be blessed with a child. You are going to be blessed not just with a child, you're going to be blessed with a son. And you're going to name this son Ishmael which means God heeds his people. God listens to the cries of his people. So that every time uh, Hagar looks at her son Ishmael, she is going to remember the time that God saved her life. Every time she says his name while he's growing up, she is going to remember that time that God sought her in the wilderness and saved her life and blessed her. And on top of all of that, the angel says, not only are you going to have a son, not only are you going to name him after this moment where I have found you, but your son is going to have numerous descendants. That is a blessing that any family in that time could ask for. Because God is assuring her that her son is not going to die. And we'll see how important that is in a few chapters, chapter 21 of Genesis. God is assuring Hagar that he will take care of her, he will bless her, and her son will be blessed. So notice, notice the life that Sarai is treating Hagar with, despised in her sight and cast out by her, but how does God find her? He finds her with favor in the wilderness. Hagar was favored in God's sight and found by him. And Hagar even makes this point. She proclaims that, how is it that I can see the Lord and still live? A blessing that God has given her. And finally, what else we get from this story is that Sarai's plans did not stop God's plans. I want to make that very clear. Sarai's plans did not stop the plan 
that God had in mind. Because what we get in the next chapter, first what we see is that Hagar goes back, she has a son, Abram listens to Hagar and names the son Ishmael. And what we see further in the book of Genesis is that God still completes his plan, that a son is going to be born to Abram and Sarai, and they are going to have descendants as numerous as the stars. So even though Sarai tried to help God, tried to go out of her way to do what she thought God should be doing, God still blessed them. Now this is very important because God is in a covenant with Abram. And so if Abram strays from that covenant, that contract could be torn up. God could have showed up to their front door and said, hey, listen, I see what you did with Hagar, and I see that you broke our contract because your child is supposed to be between you two. I'm going to walk away, and I'm going to pick a different family to be a part of. Yet God sticks with his plan despite their mistakes. Further evidence of God's grace. So what do we learn from this passage? What can we take home here today? Well, first of all, if you haven't... uh, haven't come to this conclusion, I hope you would hear it here today, your plans are not better than God's plans. It's a shocker, I know. We got a lot of shocked faces. But we need to be reminded of this from time to time, I think because I I don't know if we ever think that our plans are really better than God's plans, but we begin to rationalize ways that we can help God out. And and if we don't let God speak into our life about that, we can begin to formulate plans that we want God to bless, regardless of what he's called us to do. A few years ago, Emily and I felt the call that we would go down to seminary in order to train for ministry. And this wasn't a decision we made overnight. We spent months and months. We prayed with our pastor we went ahead and, and we prayed with our friends and family. And When we were down there, we were having trouble. And there got to be a point where we had asked our friends and family if they would pray for us, if they would continue to to encourage us. And in the middle of that, we started to ask the question that maybe God didn't call us to seminary. Maybe God didn't have this plan for our life. 
And so we started to formulate a plan that we would drop out, we would head back home, and we'd find something new. And what we found in that moment is that wasn't a part of God's plan. And God made that very apparent. But it wasn't just a decision we made on our own. It was a decision we made through prayer. It was a decision we made through guidance from other Christians. This is why we pray as Christians. This is why we connect with other believers so that they can speak into our life, continue to speak that plan. The second point that we get from this passage is what he plans for your life remains in his power not yours. So as we, we go through God's plan for our life, one of the things we need to understand is we're not the ones initiating this plan, and we are not the ones putting it into effect. What you should know about God is he doesn't need you. Now, I know to some of you, that's a relief to sit back and realize, wait, God can get this done without me? And I know the fear we have as, as pastors, and I know some leadership here is probably feeling this. Whoa, wait a second. Don't get lazy on us. God still wants you, but you need to realize he doesn't need you. That's very important when you're looking at the plan of God because God is inviting you into what he's already doing, which means you don't have the responsibility to put together the plan of salvation. You don't have the responsibility of formulating everything for down the road. You have the responsibility of going to God and asking him, what do you want me to do? What are you going to call me to do to get done for you? God has the power, not you. The third point here is that your disobedience has the potential to hurt other people. We see this in, in the passage with Sarai and Abram. We see that Sarai and Abram are straying away from God's plans, that they are, they are coming up with their own plans apart from what God has for them. But if you notice, this doesn't just stick with Sarai and Abram. When they're being disobedient to God, Hagar is being hurt in the process. Hagar is the one being used. Hagar is the one being despised. Hagar is the one being cast out because they had their own plans to help God out. Something we need to realize in our Christian life is that when we're disobedient to God, as private as we think that might be in our life, it has the potential to hurt other people. But here's the grace that God extends. Whatever sin you've committed, whatever disobedience you have had, in any circumstance when you have strayed from the plan of God and have tried to devise your own plan for your life, your disobedience is redeemable. We see this with Hagar in the wilderness. Hagar doesn't just go to the wilderness and pay the price of Sarai and Abram's sin, but God goes out and searches for her and brings her back into the family. This is the grace that we have from God as Christians, that God would be able to redeem any mistake we've had. So, God has a plan for your life. 
God has a plan for the redemption of this world, we are called to stick to it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the plans that you have for our life. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you would call us into your family, that you would call us into your work. We thank you, God, that the power remains with you. We thank you that the power of your plan is in you, that you have just called us to help along. And we thank you, God, that whatever areas that we've struggled with, whatever areas of disobedience we've had, that you would redeem it. We thank you, God, that, that you would continue to lead us. So, Lord, we pray that you continue to give us the power to follow your plans. Amen.